Welcome to Building Great Sales Teams, a show dedicated to making sales teams tick, tick, boom. Great sales teams are not recruited, they are built block by block. Let's get to work. So I said we can kick it off with a little check-in, I guess, kind of make it more casual in the beginning. Um, so, I mean, I got to ask, how's Mason doing? Mason's great. Um, man, he, uh, he he's funny. So uh, the reason I bring him around this kind of stuff is, and things that we do, you know, we're both in Apex, but mm-hmm. um, is, you know, I didn't have that growing up as a, as a kid. My dad worked in a factory. You know, he had his degree and he ended up working for, uh, he had an engineering degree and worked for Lockheed Martin. Mm-hmm. But um, there was no role model in that sense of, other than just, you know, go, go to work, do a, you know, do a good job at work. Right. And then live the weekend, you know, that was the role model I had growing up. So when I started getting into a Zig Ziglar type stuff or other authors, Covey, Maxwell, I, I liked those people, but I never went to any events. And they eventually, you know, when I came into Apex, I thought, you know, I'm going to make this more of a legacy play. So mm-hmm. I actually got permission, you know, um, with Drewby, Drewby Wilson, the VP of Apex, uh, even Ryan himself, Ryan Steuben, the founder of Apex, to make sure that's okay to start bringing him through these things. I don't always assume it's okay, but right. it started as an idea. Hey, this he's seven years old, eight years old. Now he's coming to MDM this weekend at nine years old. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted him to be involved in that kind of thing. And I think the cool thing is it, it saw some other people going, oh, hey, you know, that's a good idea. You know, and you start seeing some teenagers show up, you start seeing, you know, some early teens and they, so it's a good, it's a better way for me and my thinking to get them started foundationally. So no, I love it. Um, I, uh, so the first exposure I had to Apex was MDM 21 and that okay. was the first thing I thought, you know, hearing about Apex, seeing the culture that was mm-hmm. everywhere at that event. I was like, man, I need, I need this for my kids. Yeah. You know, and it's weird how our, our thinking kind of starts from the kids and works its way up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously I needed it for myself, but then immediately after I'm like, man, my kids need to see this, you know? Yeah. And, and that was one of the questions that I asked. I think it was the, the VIP, uh, round table mm-hmm. question mm-hmm. deal or whatever interview panel. Yeah. Um, I asked if there was anything for the youth in the works, cause that would be amazing. Uh, and, and now there is Robert Nelson's heading that up. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, he's heavily more in the tween ish right. thing just because of the concepts. You know, they get, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen it like uh, our friend Dan Constantino, his daughter, mm-hmm. he posted about her learning how to do funnels and website stuff there. So, I mean, do you get your two boys and your daughter involved? So, my daughter is the one that's interested. Okay. But she's the oldest. So, yeah, I, I try my best not to pressure them. You know what I'm saying? Like, we've done T ball, we've done sports. Mm-hmm. And uh, my youngest son is the the athlete. My middle cool. son just uh, finished up uh, his his school play. He was Maui in Moana, so he was oh, the okay. main character in that. Yeah, and um, he just killed it. So he's going to theater camp this summer. You know awesome. what I mean? So I'm kind of letting them lean into what they're mm-hmm. passionate about, you know. But my yeah. daughter has said several times, "Well, Dad, I'm going to run your companies when I get older." So. Yeah, and she, she, I'm gonna brag on her for a second. I just posted about this. She actually just won the president's award 
And so that's an award for academic excellence through her whole uh, elementary career. Okay. So she got all A's and she mastered all of her tests. Wow. And so it's like there's there's seven total that got Mm -hmm. it in the district. Three of them are silver. Four of them were gold. She was one of the gold. And then there was uh, another award on top of that. And, and I, I couldn't remember all the parameters. The principal mm-hmm. was listing them off. But she was one of two kids in the, in the district to get that award. And, wow. and the other one was in the same school, which was crazy, which it's a, it's a great school when it comes to public education. Yeah. Um, but if anybody is going to, you know, basically be interested and want to go to this type of stuff with me, it's going to be her. And, yeah, I'm going to expose the boys to it and everything right. within, within reason. They're still at that age where, you know what I mean, I – they're just, they just don't have the demeanor to sit in a chair and watch something for even 30 minutes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're active. They're up. They're right. chatterboxes. You know what I mean? Right. And absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. It, it, it can be tough for the, yeah, it can be tough for Mason too to go through that stuff. But I, he, he, you know, we, he, we did sports with him. We did uh soccer. He, he was a goalie in soccer. He, yeah. he's not a big runner. Um, he did T-ball. And I thought he would really click into T-ball. Didn't, didn't really, but didn't come to find out because we did T-ball before he had glasses. He wears glasses now. Oh. Come to find out he wasn't seeing for nothing. Poor kid, like, man. <laughs> yeah. He's like barely touching the bat to the ball. He was just trying to see it. Yeah. And we didn't realize it. It's like, dude, why don't you just crank it? Because there was another mm-hmm. kid who would just nail it. Um, he wasn't seeing it, but he's just not really turned on by sports, um, or or music like musicians or actors and stuff. The people that he really enjoys is meeting Orion Stuman, meeting Keith Kraft. Uh, last year he met Steve Weatherford and that was just, that was the, not because of the, being a Super Bowl champion, Steve Weatherford, but the Steve spoke. Yeah. So those too, I mean, he's got an amazing presence for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And those people become the role models more for him. So Mm -hmm which which is different for me i was a athlete growing up i played yeah. baseball football and hockey so i had you know nolan ryan i love nolan ryan emmett smith those guys mm-hmm. but uh he's not turned on that way but it's in a different way but the cool thing is just we, we were able to expose it and being around yeah other people like that yeah, yeah you're so, in a position I mean, to light that fire for him which is awesome yeah yeah and we get to connect and those other people become role models so yeah Absolutely. And I didn't, I didn't have any of that growing up. I had barely had a parental figure, you know what I mean? So the fact that he's got an amazing dad and gets exposed to that, it's going to be awesome for him. And oh, same thing, same thing, with, that, yeah. same thing with my kiddos. So yeah. let's, let's talk about the first sales job, right? Sure. So that's the first question is, yeah, yeah. what was your first sales job and, and why sales? So let's think here. I was, it's, it wasn't my first job job. My first job out, out of ending, I started working, I was 14, but I always did like manual labor type stuff, even mm-hmm. through, I think it was 19. Yeah, it was October of 99, one month before I turned 20. Um, because of a friend of mine, I went to work for a company called Mars Music. They're no longer mm-hmm. around. They would be equivalent to Guitar Center now. So Guitar Center is a nationwide company. Um that was my first sales job. And that was the first time I learned how to was so when I first started working there, it was hourly. And then they switched to a commission model. That's when I learned how to control my own paycheck. That's when it clicked. Yep. Cause I was like, okay, 
And I was already the top, I was already, they didn't really track sales, but I was already the person who did the most. And mm. I sold, I, I've played electric bass since 94. So I was, I was in the guitar department. And when they went to commission, it was a draw and a commission. I said, okay, how much do I need to make? How much do I need to sell to make X amount of dollars? And I set a number in my head of 20 bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know where this came from as a kid, but I thought that if I could make $2,000 a year for every year of my age, I was doing well. I don't know where the heck that number came from. I talk about it in my book, but I don't know where that number came from. So my fucking thinking at 20 and 21, 22 years old was, okay, if I can make between 40 and $45,000, I'm doing good. Dude, that's, so, let's, let's talk about that for a second. That's back <laughs> late nineties, early two thousands. I mean, that's right. like yeah. 80 grand now. <laughs> I, uh, I, mean, I guess so. Yeah. yeah, it really is though. Like when I think about inflation and everything. Yeah. So that's a heck of an income for a 20 year old. I guess so. Yeah. Um, but what I used to do is I would take our system wouldn't have like, you'd have like this daily, uh, it would show you how much you made on a deal. So I would literally had a piece of paper and I said, okay, I need to make this much in profit uh, per sale to make my number. And that's what I would do. But I wasn't like, I was trying to beat a guy or, you know, be number one per se, but by doing that and setting that goal in my own head and just operating that way, mm -hmm. it was number one in the store easily. Then I became number one in the region and then number one in the company. Mm -hmm. And it was just because I had a goal in my head. It was achievement based, not competition based. So that was my first, um, my first sales job, but I really did enjoy it. How about you? Mine was Cutco. So the product oh, yeah. was Cutco. And so I, I think I responded to an ad. I had just turned 16, okay. so I was eligible to work, right? It wasn't as loose as it was in the 90s. <laughs> I had just turned 16, so I was eligible to work. This was, uh, what is that, 2002 for me? Mm -hmm. And okay. um, so I responded to an ad from Vector Marketing, I think was the sales organization. Have you heard okay. of them? Yeah. I, I do know the name, yeah. 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 And so I responded to the ad and it was everything, you know, everything cliche about a sales organization. It was walking into <laughs> one room, you know, 400 square feet, two mm -hmm. whiteboards, some chairs, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so they, they offered me the, the Cutco opportunity. And of course, right away, you got to buy something in order mm -hmm. to, to have the samples. So it's the sample kit. It's like 350 bucks, you yeah. know? And so... Um, but their whole, their whole model was referrals, people you already knew. Sure. 16 years old in high school. I don't know anybody that has yeah. money, right? So I, I did the family stuff, but I didn't have much that had that kind of money to spend on knives or whatever. So I started, I started right. door knocking. And okay. um, the problem was I didn't have a purpose or a cause behind it. I, you know, this wasn't a cute kid at the door. It was a 16-year-old, you know what I mean? <laughs> And with um, knives. Yeah. With <laughs> knives. <laughs> and so the only sale I remember the only sale I made was my multimedia teacher. Okay. And, um, you know, when I look back on that position, you know, I realize, you know, why my sales organization was successful because I had actual training in place. It wasn't just like, Hey, sign some people up based on these referrals. We'll hope we'll get a few blocks, block sets out of you. And then that's right. how we make our money. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. And especially like a 16 year old in high school. I wouldn't, I, I won't even hire a 16 year old. You know what I mean? You got to be right. 18 or older to work with my company. Cause you got to be full time. Right. And so, uh, that was my first sales position. And 
you know, it was everything that's wrong with sales orgs. Now, we all know that sales orgs are a lot of times huge and they have individual owners at each office. So vector marketing may be a great sales org now or maybe was then, but that individual Mm -hmm. office definitely wasn't. There was no leadership there, you know. Yeah, those multi-level marketing ones. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've I've been exposed to those. I wouldn't say, you know, directly in one per se, but uh, yeah, I've been exposed to those. And some of them could be, some of them could be very affluent and yeah. done really well. Um, but some of them are just like, you know, boiler room style or they just get you hyped up for a couple of hours and send, yeah. you, send you with no real prospects. That's the only downside a lot of times to see with those is they're really, mm-hmm. oh, you want to sell your family or, and then you get somebody underneath you and you sell their family. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's the real model. <laughs> where's the, yeah. Where's the lead generation here? Yeah. There you know, is none. The downside, yeah. Or yeah. sales training involved in that. Yeah, because you're learning from the guy before you and all he did was learn it from the guy before him and the guy before them. And there's not really like a sales professional piece that they learn or a sales format Mm -hmm. that they get into. Like, uh, you know, some people might poo-poo on retail, but there's a lot of structure that goes behind it. And despite what some of the experiences might be when you walk into a retail store, it's not just an everyday monkey who gets to be in charge. Right. Uh, That was the best person they had available at that time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's there's pieces that come from it so my years in retail up until 2015 when i went into insurance was mm-hmm. it was like an mba in real life oh absolutely yeah yeah i'm learning real p l how to move ne- the needle in certain numbers um really hiring people really firing people really dealing with things like you know customer accidents harassment um you know a number of different things theft fraud you know real things that happen that you can't get you know, offices across the street from UTA, they, they teach MBA over there, but they're not, you know, no. was that professor really going to show them that really happens in real life? Yeah. And you got a, a hard knock training in how to be a business owner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, same thing with me once I started and, you know, this goes right into the next question, when and why did you become an entrepreneur? And mm-hmm. this, this is, and I'll go first on this one. This has always been a, a tough one for me because, you know, I wasn't the hustler in high school, right? I, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people have stories about selling gum or selling pharmaceuticals yeah. <laughs> when they were younger. Uh, yeah. I think you have that background. So, yeah. um, <laughs> street pharmacist. Yep. Yeah, I was, I was, I was in general a good kid. I didn't break rules. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I broke curfew a few times. I drank my first beer at prom when I was 18 years old. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so, it was hard for me to step outside the box and break the rules, right? Yeah. And so I would say my first entrepreneurial entrepreneurial venture, that's a hard word to say right now, mm-hmm. venture was I did uh, mobile detailing. Okay. And so I figured out, okay, all I really need is the customer's hose, and I can bring my own hose, and mm-hmm. uh, I can detail their vehicles before they wake up in the morning. That way when they come out, their car's already done. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, so I charged a premium for that. And the experience I had with it is I worked at Texas Shine in Shirts, Texas, when mm-hmm. I, right when I came out of high school. So I actually had real world experience. I was a finisher. I was a detailer or whatever. So I knew how to get through a car in like 30 minutes, top to bottom, armor all, vacuum, all that good stuff. Then I had all the mobile tools to do it. And so I actually landed a, a FedEx contract doing that. Oh, nice. I, I ended up doing the warehouse supervisor's BMW and okay. he was like, Hey, we need someone to wash our trucks when they come in. So literally pressure washer, 
um, and attached to the, the hose. And when they came in, I would just spray them down, scrub them, spray them down again, and then on their way. And I was making like, oh, man, it must have been like 15 to $20 a, a truck. And then I would do okay. like tr- 20 trucks in the evening, you know. And so I was okay. making good. That was when I made my first thousand in one week, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but why? I just, I got tired of getting fired. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> I got laid off. I got fired. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I got tired of other people being in control of my income. Yeah. And uh, I was 19 when I did that. Okay. And uh, I was always looking for another position because it, you know, it didn't quite do enough. I think I did 50 grand my first year in business. Okay. And I didn't pay taxes and I got that bill like six months yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh shit, I got to pay taxes. <laughs> yeah, you're shocked by the numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't a sustainable model. It was a business of one. You know what I mean? And it yeah. it was. It was working between 4 a.m. and 8, 8 a.m. because my whole model was getting them before they went to work. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I ended up working for a realtor and then taking a, a job again. You know what I'm saying? But that was my first entrepreneurial venture and you know why I did it was I was just getting tired of getting laid off and getting fired yeah I I spent too much time telling my managers and my bosses how to do their jobs yeah yeah (laughs) respectfully yeah I I can feel that part um so my dad always taught us and what was you know get a good get a job with the company you know, get a good salary. It'll take care of you kind of thing. He really subscribed. He was born in 1950. He really subscribed mm-hmm. to the, um, the company taking care of their people type thing, which is kind of ironic because he was unionized. He, he, he took a job. So my dad started off as an entrepreneur. So his passion was hot rods. He always had hot rod growing up since being a teenager. You know, that was that muscle, you know, he was 18 in 1968. So the muscle cars of the sixties and the seventies, he was right there. Right. Nice. Um, so he, he started up being an entrepreneur with his brother-in-law. But then when my brother was born, now he had two babies, was married. Um, he was fine on his side, but his brother-in-law was not pulling his weight. So he had to shut it down. He, and he did the family responsible thing of, okay, I'm going to go work for the big company in town, which in Fort Worth, we had the plant. He's what he called it, Lockheed Martin. Originally was General Dynamics, then Lockheed Martin. But anyway... Um, and the ironic part was he was unionized, so he would get laid off from time to time. They would strike from time to time, whatever stuff. So I never really felt the company, quote unquote, took care of him. Yeah. Um, and he did that until he passed away at 55 years old. <clears throat> so when I saw that, that was what I learned from him. But as I was in retail and I was just, I would go from, I went to, you know, Mars to another company, to Best Buy, to Gold, to Guitar Center, to Office Max. And I was always a top performer within those things. But what happens with people who a lot of times are, you know, top performers and they're pushing the envelope is they see opportunities mm-hmm. and those type of scenarios, those structures, they don't want anything, you know, that, well, corporate knows better type stuff. Right. Best Buy, especially is very corporate office, max office depot, which mm-hmm. they merged eventually. They're very, very corporate. I remember setting up different things, you know, like taking the hot, you know, the, the item out of the sales flyer setting up a stand and that thing actually produce and make money showing them. And they're like, Oh, that's not on the planogram. You got to take it down. I'm like, well, this is actually making money. That planogram doesn't. Well, no, it's not on the planogram. We're taking it down. So that part always bothered me. So when I got the opportunity for insurance in 2015, someone approached me. Um, 
I, I, I wanted to take it because I was like, this is, I'm just tired of butting up. I really should be my own boss. Yeah. I'm tired of answering to somebody else. And that became the difficult part for me. Mm-hmm. So if I've enjoyed being an entrepreneur and um, you know, having my own space. I'm not scared to not do it because that the worst thing is I can always go back to a retailer, any retail in America and say, okay, I was a top performer at these companies. I've been doing my own thing for a while. That's gone. Give me a job. Yeah. And that's the thing about the, the sales positions is yeah. it's kind of like a transition into entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when you take on a commission only one like insurance, which is yep. really, you know, you eat what you kill type of deal mm-hmm. is it kind of prepares you for entrepreneurship, you know, and the, that check isn't always coming and, you know, it's based on your action, you know, and then it's yeah. crazy because you, if you start out in a sales position, then you get into entrepreneurship and you open up an actual, uh, and in your case is an agency, right? Yeah. Um, and then, and then all of a sudden you're not responsible for all the production anymore and it, you kind of don't want to let go of it. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So that you can delegate and move on. So it's like, it's weird how, you know, every level up is, is uncomfortable like that. You know? Yeah. That's, that's the tough, I think that's the toughest part for a high performer when they start to create your own company, like you were, you know, you and solar, you create Mm -hmm. sure there was a tipping point where you're like, okay, I need to start selling less and managing more, but you have that. Okay. How do I replace the income from not selling? And Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing that was kind of different about me, I guess. And, uh, which, you know, I always went up against that, uh, cliche, I guess. Okay. So when I, when I started, I was a marketing manager for, okay. uh, a business owner that had multiple businesses. Right. But he was mm-hmm. a salesman through and through. Right. And so I learned from him entrepreneurship and I had probably five or six different positions with him with uh, under the marketing manager role. I was like the shipping guy. I was the sales floor communicator. You know what I mean? I did mm-hmm. any, anything that he needed. I, I knocked out. Right. And okay. so I learned a lot from him and he started Argentina field solutions, which is a company I own now. And mm-hmm. he wasn't able to make it work. He asked me to start managing it. You know what I mean? What he saw in me that I would be able to manage a sales company, not ever having a, a serious career in sales or sales management. Right. And I was 23 at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I started managing it and I did really well, you know, because of everything that I had learned over operating my own businesses and now working for him, Mm -hmm. you know, I got in a hard knock education in the last five years in entrepreneurship, sales, marketing, all that stuff. Right. So I got it back to profit. He wanted to sell it to somebody else, wasn't able to sell it. So he ended up owner financing it to me. And oh, okay. so I started out in my company as the owner, never having really done, been the rep oh, wow. in door to door. Yeah. And so obviously the first thing I did is started knocking doors. And so okay. I did, I set a goal for myself, kind of like you were talking about earlier. I had mm-hmm. this sense of achievement. I said, I, I want to be able to stop knocking doors in 90 days. And if I can stop knocking doors in 90 days, then I can actually operate the company. Cause I knew mm-hmm. what operating the company looked like, even, even though I was a business of one several times, I knew what that looked like and I couldn't right. do it knocking on doors 40 to 50 hours a week. Well, exactly. Yeah. So I went hard knocking doors and I developed my script and I, you know, I, I was lucky in that I had people from the business within my company already. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they were giving me some of the, the key training pieces of the business. Gotcha. And then, okay. uh, 
90 days in, I didn't knock on another door. I had a sales trainer. You know what I mean? I was the manager, but I didn't go out to the field. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I had to figure out, okay, I had to be the sales manager and not be in the field with my guys. So that put systems and training and processes in place so that right. when they did go out to the field, they were well-trained and ready to go. Yeah. Even, uh, even without a trainer sometimes in the field. You know what I'm saying? So imagine training people and never actually closing a customer in front of them. Right. And so I, my training had to be on point. And so then I eventually uh, met Wayne Skinner and got him into the company and then same thing there. So yeah. now he was the sales leader. He was able to go to the field with guys, right? And so now I had to be the regional manager. I had an office in Houston. I had an office in Corpus Christi. So I had to level up each, each way or each mm-hmm. step of the way. And I, but, but that put so much pressure on the company operations systems, training, all the things that I preach now. Right. You know, that I was able to develop early on kind of backwards. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Instead yeah, of being that is top performer going into it, I was at the top already, you know? I see what you're saying. Yeah, that definitely is a, is a, a flip on its, on its mm-hmm. head. Um, that's one thing I've, I've enjoyed about uh, retail and now within, it, within insurance is I, I do like having that uh, exposure and being shoulder to shoulder with the guys uh-huh. uh, at my offices. I got my actual office office, but I'll many times take a laptop. If, I, if I'm gonna, not going to have any, like I don't have any appointments or I'm not right. going to call with anybody, I'll take my laptop and just literally sit there, do my to-do type stuff, things mm-hmm. I got to get done. But I'll be there and they'll pop up, hey, Brian, and we'll go through a deal. And mm-hmm. um, that's that in the trenches type stuff mm-hmm. that I, I think the, a sales guy can enjoy. And it's and it's it, it's good to know, like you knocking on the door, it's good to yeah. know that the leader, okay, he can do it. Mm-hmm. But the, the way for us to ex- exponentially grow is not sell more ourselves. I can only handle, you know, a few hundred customers, maybe right. 500 most. And that sounds like a lot of customers, but the insurance world's a little different. Right. So but, a little bit yeah. more hands off. Well, you typically write someone, I might talk to somebody a couple of times a year. Yeah. You know, I don't, gotcha. I don't need to talk to them once a month or something, but, um, but I'm going to level off there and it's only going to be a certain number of in- certain level of income for me to exponentially grow. I know that each salesperson that performs at this average or this specific number, you know, I can grow my company from that, what the revenue that they'll generate. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I've always been loved to be in the, in the thing here, which is, I think some people level up and they're like, okay, great. I could kick my shoes up, be in the office, yeah, watch yeah. two videos. <laughs> yeah. No, I see. Uh, and that's what would frustrate me is cause it's like, okay, well, what's your, your version of entrances, right? So I would, cause we changed, not changed, but we had, we added on campaigns. We did security. We've done B2B, okay. you know, we've mm-hmm. done a, 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 all different types of products, mainly in AT&T, ADT and, um, event spaces right okay and so we've had all these contracts and everything and when we got on when we decided to take on a new product like AT&T's been our been our product for 10 years now mm-hmm. but when we decided to take on another product and some of it was AT&T's product too uh I would make four or five sales with that product I would look at the system how to process it I would write the training you know mm-hmm. what I mean and then I'd, I'd walk it through the back end payroll all that stuff and basically put that system together and then apply all of the sales training that I'd already created, insert the new product. You know, I was just like MacGyver slash, you know, <laughs> see the, 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 the meme with all the formulas and stuff above his head. That's what I yeah. would turn into for yeah. about two months. 
and then we would launch the campaign. We put leadership in place and then we start hiring, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it worked really well. Um, you know, we've been doing AT&T 10 plus years and we've sold everything under the sun for them. And, uh, and then solar was, uh, fairly new about eight months ago, did the same mm-hmm. thing with solar. And now we're finally to a place where, you know, we've got about 12 people that are dedicated to solar. Okay. And, um, you know, if you're doing one per sales rep per month, you're mm-hmm. average, you know what I mean? If you're doing mm-hmm. two, you're doing really well. Yeah. And because um, they're large commissions, you know, they're a high ticket item. Sure. And so and especially when you have turnover and stuff like that. But we just yeah. we just finished up with 18 for the last month. So we're figuring it out. You know, what I'm saying yeah. we're finally hitting that stride eight, nine months later. So it's going mm. well. That's good. Yeah. That's one and a half per person. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next question is your third question. Yeah. What's yeah. question three? Where do entrepreneurs fuck up their sales teams? Um, I, I think the, you, you, we were talking about this, you know, we were getting ready to, to, to hit record here. Um, I, I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see in the sales, sales, sales field and sales training and entrepreneurs definitely fall into this group is mm-hmm. the way that they did it to be successful is the way that everyone has to do it. So I, I think of, um, a company president that I, that I worked for. And the stories were all always, well, when I was doing it, it was this, when I was doing it, it was this, when I was doing it, it was this. And it's like, well, yeah, I get that. But you're talking about 10 and 12 years ago, the landscape has changed. The product mix has changed. And I I think without having that individualization, so there's um, that, that term comes from a book that I read called now discover your strengths. A guy named Marcus Buckingham wrote that, but one of the a talent that a leader can have is to recognize the individual skill and individual flavor of a mm-hmm. salesperson and speak to them and learn how to, okay, we have certain formulas, maybe a script, maybe a certain process we have to do. These things have to get done. What is your version, not go off base, but what is your version of how the conversation will flow? Mm-hmm. What are you good at? Like if you look at the sales process, you break it down into steps. Are they a good, you know, a rapport building person? Are they a good mm. greeter? Are they a good, um, you know, qualifying person? I think my best talent is actually the qualification process, not necessarily the close. The close is easy for me mm-hmm. because I, I think I, I think I do a great job of recommending the right product for someone by finding out truly what they need and saying this is what you should buy and here's why. So, um, so by, by the not, time you present the product they should be yeah it's it's that's customized what they for them and they're yeah. saying yes because it's perfect for them right that's like yeah. this is what you should buy yeah well and then you make a change if they've got some kind mm-hmm. of objection or some kind of a road, roadblock mm-hmm. but um I, I think to think that everyone has to do it the same single way is the biggest mistake in my opinion that i've seen how about you i i couldn't agree more um when i in in you know when i look back at when i first started I mm-hmm. did so many things instinctively and I look back at them and I don't understand where, how I came up with that because it's a lot of the things still ring true today. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I did is I, instead of creating, it always drove me nuts to have to memorize a script. It right. makes sense to me. The intro was mm-hmm. the same. The qualifier was the same. The presentation was the same for every customer. And then the close mm-hmm. was the same. Right. And then they were in paragraphs and paragraphs always bugged me because you know, I, I had a hard time reading 
You know? Okay. And I'm pretty sure I was, wasn't, I should have been di- diagnosed dyslexic mm-hmm. and I never was. And so I broke it into bullet points. Okay. The intro, maybe there was one sentence or mm-hmm. in some of my intro scripts just had three words on them, you know, which is usually right. what product, mm-hmm. uh, why are you here? So it was, um, what, why, and, um, who you are. Right. Right. And so, and then when you go into the qualify, it was three major qualification questions with maybe a few sub questions based on mm-hmm. the answers to those qualification questions. Right. And then right. the presentation, you're presenting three major ways that this product improves their lifestyle. And then maybe a few subways based on the qualifications and answers. And then the close sure. was a, you know, a 50, 50 close, you know, mm-hmm. uh, two option close. Right. right. You can choose this option or this option. Wonder which one. Yeah. And, and most of the time it ends up in the same product. Right. Right. And that allowed whatever your selling style was to come through versus you having to memorize a sentence that's structured the way that I talk, which right. makes no exactly. sense to me. Right. So, People's vernaculars are different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, and then I agree with you hundred percent on the qualification piece. Um, got to have a, a strong qualification. So where, I think entrepreneurs fuck it up is it starts out being about the money, right? Mm-hmm. And then they have to pivot from that because money right. is only motivating so far, right? And they typically right. pivot to leadership, mm-hmm. which is good. That got me through my first five years of business doing money, leadership. Right. And then and then after that, they get into competition. Like, okay, we got to create some, uh, we got to step outside of the mediocrity here or the bonuses. The same thing every day. Yeah. Yep. you know, bonuses and competition and that works only so far. It's all carrot and stick. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so that's where most entrepreneurs mess it up when they, you know, that's only going to work for so long. And, it, and it's typically about 18 months. Someone's going to be with your company for about 18 months before okay. they're going to start looking around to see where the grass is greener. Even mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if they make six figures or not, because now there's, there's no mission. There's no core yeah, values behind it. You know, yeah. and now I know what it's all called because of apex, you know, right. <laughs> but there's no purpose. And that used to always be my thing. Once, once I got five years in the business and I saw, you know, I went from 110 salespeople to like 40 in mm-hmm. three months because I didn't have any mission. I didn't have any core values. I didn't have any purpose in my business. They didn't know why they were showing up every day, you know, and it wasn't, just to earn money. It wasn't just for an opportunity. They need to have a mission and a purpose behind it. You know what I mean? So I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs that I'm consulting right now or just having conversations with at Apex or, you know, we're about to go to MDM this week. I'm sure we'll have a lot of conversations. Same thing. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of, they don't have those things in place. So that's the the foundation. That's the first thing I, I assign them homework to put that together. And I typically use Thomas Keenan's book, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Unfuck your business. That usually establishes core values. And then I kind of go from there. Um, but yeah, I think that's the biggest part. So uh, a, a kick that I've been on lately. Okay. Is recruiting. Okay. And so I was, I was at the Cabo mastermind that uh, apex and Ryan's doing puts on. Yeah. And uh, that was my, he, he said, bring your big ass problems. Right. And that was my okay. big ass problem. I can recruit entry level people all day. But how do I recruit top performers? Yeah. And so he is about to come out with this book, Be the Example. So that was his answer, basically. 
And, um, you know, he walked me through what that really meant. And so, you know, I, I, I guess my question would be, how do you make sure you're setting the example for everybody that matters, which is, you know, your family, your sure. business, your friends, you know? Yeah. And then, yeah, and how are you doing that? Yeah, I think that's a, a that's a fantastic question. So um, I just, uh, every record, recording this on a Wednesday, every Wednesday at noon, I have my weekly meeting with my mentor and uh, he and I are t- working on a project it's you know, kind of an idea of mine but the but with discussions that we have is to be a full functioning person a full functioning man mm-hmm. um and what i mean by that is you know i, I think we see this in, in our space especially with you know, being around other entrepreneurs who are successful so if you let you say if you take faith family fitness finance right those mm-hmm. kind of four main categories if you will that people a lot of times reference in personal development a lot of times someone is just nailing one of them finance, right? Right. And they're just kicking butt and they're, they're doing very well financially. They've, they've learned how to make money. They can replicate it. They can duplicate it, but poor family relationships with friends, poor relationships with friends or family. Um, they don't only operate in the gratitude or the faith sense. Maybe they're not religious, which is fine. Maybe, which is fine, but it's a lot to gain and benefit your life. If you do have a higher power mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, they're not taking their fitness very well. I can think of some examples of people in that, that in, you know, visualize in my head, people that are wealthy, but just poor, poor shape. Mm-hmm. So the discussion that we we're working on is how do we get, how do we actually have a well-rounded, a 360 degree view, if you will, mm-hmm. of what it properly means to be, you know, a leader, be a man in your family, be a leader in your company, uh, be an example and be someone that your friends can count on. So I think by looking and applying to all four of those and spending time through your day, applying that with intentionality, that's, that's going to come across when you interact with people. So my daily schedule includes starting off with faith. You know, I read, uh, read in the Bible in the morning, I uh, prepare my breakfast and sitting down and concentrating and spending that time in my faith. Then I go to the gym. And I have a strategic plan workout. You and I have the same trainer, Mark Zalmanoff. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a training program that we've got to devise the phone goals. I hit to the office and I do the office with intentionality. Every I've got, I map my day out by the hour. I operate with my team and they see all this and they, they can visually see, they can see the difference the physicality makes. Mm-hmm. They can see, uh, we, we have, we have conversations. I actually talk to my people and get a relationship with them. And we, we talk about, maybe a fitness topic, um, just things that we're doing, we're working through. I'm very transparent with when things are going on. Mm-hmm. So, but they see, well, Mason comes to the office from time to time. So they get to meet him, be around him. So they see a father, they see a leader, they see someone who's taking care of themselves physically. Mm-hmm. And you may or may not want to have this done, but you can have your team see your social media. I think they see a lot about someone yeah. um, via social media. My mentor agreed to work with me not from the conversation that we had, but he can go and look at my Instagram and Facebook and see, well, okay, a lot of family stuff, mm-hmm. uh, positive messages. What's Brian doing, you know, with his family and his faith and these different things. And you can see all that come across in social media. So that's how I became, you know, to work with him. If I had not done that, mm-hmm. then I would have, I had, I would have had to convince him this is the type of person that I am rather than see this from afar and go, okay, right. I can see he's doing it. And that's the example piece. So, 
Have you had a situation in where, because of the example you set, you've recruited people? Um, oh, do people come to come be with us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've had people approach me saying, Hey, um, so they know, they know the performance is there. You know, they can see, um, especially if you've been within our company. Mm-hmm. So I guess here's a good example. So one of my sales managers is also an apex. Um, I got her into apex, but when I took, so I took over this team that I'm at in January of this year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she had the choice to go through one of two people, either being within my group, or another person's group. Right. And she chose me. And I think part of it had to do with a, I had already built a relationship with her over a period of time, you know, actually talking with her, being mm-hmm. around her at the events, you know, building, talking into the person or, you know, into her and getting to know who her husband to be now husband, excuse me, uh, being an encourager and seeing the difference that was makes as the things I was learning within apex, getting mm-hmm. in better physical shape, um, writing a book, these kind of things. It's like, wow, Brian's actually doing the work. And so given the choice between this group, which was frankly the larger group mm-hmm. or mine, she chose mine because to be able to work with me, I believe that's like, okay, she can learn more and pick up more from me than this other person. Cause I'm already seeing these, she's already seen the changes that are taking place over the last two years. Yeah. And then she doesn't just see how to become a better insurance agent or a better entrepreneur. She sees how to become a better human. Right. You know, I, I think you, yeah, I think, um, business owners, we can leave a lot on the table. If it's, if we just talk about, just talk about money, mm-hmm. we just talk about finances. Frankly, most of the time that I've seen in companies, the only money discussion is their money right from then and there. What if you showed people and not, don't risk or break any rules, but what if you showed people how to save money, mm-hmm. invest money, earn money in other ways? What if you talked about books? We, we sales train now my a book I wrote is a sales book, but we sales train with my book mm-hmm. by, and what I'm basically saying, I'm reinforcing the authority of being the sales leader and the trophies I have on the wall, mm-hmm. but also this is my book we're training from. And remember when you growing up as a kid, the teacher was the authority. Right. It wasn't even their book. They're like a college professor, those kind of people. We learn from those people. So I'm actually reinforcing my authority as a sales trainer mm-hmm. by using my own book. Yeah. So much is happening internally within the company alone. Right. You know, forget about the impact it has outside of the company or that it attracts people to the company. The mm-hmm. impact in, in, internally is huge. And, yep. I, and I can say that since I started doing all the things that you're talking mm-hmm. about, and I'm definitely not as far along as you are, I know you've been on this journey for about five years now. I've been on it for a little over a year. Um, okay. Everything else before that was from the hip. I didn't have a name for things. I didn't have a program. I didn't have tools like I have now because right. of apex. Mm-hmm. And right. so it's, it's just given me so, so much to, to build off of. But, um, yeah. but you're leading, I mean, you're doing things that, I mean, just think about the impact on your, on your two sons. They're seeing you, well, you, I like, I love what you mentioned a minute ago. You said your daughter wants to run your company. Yeah. That's awesome. Mason might be the first kid ever who really wants to be an insurance agent. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else is like, well, I was a third baseman in college and I blew yeah. my knee out. So I needed yeah. to do something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So Former basketball players. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and, and that's the deal, right? Setting the example. So I've already in just a, talk about a few examples that it's, it's worked for me since Cabo, right? 
Okay. And since I started putting that out there, that I was mm -hmm. looking for affiliates, that I was looking for people to come and work with our team and sell right. for us, um, I got someone from Florida that reached out, and that's a market that we install in. So she is uh, a solar salesperson for us now. Okay. And she reached out because of my core values posts in Entourage. Okay. And, or no, no, it wasn't Entourage. It was because um, she wasn't in Apex yet. So um, okay. she reached out because of my core values post on my personal page. She followed me oh, okay. because she follows Lisa Marie. Gotcha. And, okay. Um, she, okay. Actually, Lisa Marie is her business coach. Oh, okay. And, and, okay. And so she started following me because we had mutual friends. Mm -hmm. And and then she reached out to Jory Mack. He wasn't in a position to bring her on or anything. And then uh, she saw my core values post, and then she reached out to me, mm. which is like, that's the perfect example, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you'd like them all to be like that, but they're not all going to be like that. Yeah. And 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 so that's the deal. Just like you said, in those four Fs or like G code, you know, mm -hmm. same thing: group, uh, gratitude, uh, genetics, and uh, what am I missing? Grind. Um, I, I try to be doing something in all those categories, but it, it, it does get tough when you think about becoming this well-rounded, amazing human, right? And mm -hmm. so some of the, the tools that we've been using to get there, you know, the, the first one that I always recommend is 75 hard. Mm -hmm. If I have a fellow yep. entrepreneur that is struggling, they can't get their stuff dialed in, their mm -hmm. health's not there, their finances aren't there, I always recommend 75 hard. Because right. the first thing you hear from them is, well, I would do that, but, you mm -hmm. know, and then the excuse comes. True. And something that 75 hard does for me is it, it, it gets rid of all those excuses, right? And so mm -hmm. the way that I applied that to my company, direct application, tactical, right, is okay. I showed them that journey. And I started posting in our sales flow chat about that journey, you know, and, and I posted a lot more yep. on my social media about it. But something about posting in the sales flow chat and then all of a sudden two weeks after posting in there about 75 hard mm -hmm. i had four other people in the company on it nice. which was amazing the impact that had and then i started True. instituting g code if you go to dailygcode.com you can see what i'm talking about i started instituting g code mm -hmm. in uh our company metrics so we use uh a software called 90 which operates on the eos platform okay and uh our data it's something that we keep track of and everybody has a G code data point in there that they have to update weekly. Okay. And as long as they have 20 or more points, they're in good shape. If not, then we're asking them, you know, what happened last week, you know, and then giving them suggestions on how they can get that score up, you know? Gotcha. Okay. And so everybody, well, I, yeah. Yeah. Culturally, That's a great example to bring into your culture. The, that yeah. Piece and, and I got that directly from Thomas Keenan. That's how he runs his weekly meetings. You know, he, yeah. the first thing he goes over is everybody's G code score is going to be 20 or more or you're on the radar <laughs> for the week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For the week. Exactly. And, mm -hmm. uh, so that's, you know, that's just two examples there of the, the things that I like to use. One, one of the things I talk about, I've been talking about a lot between recruiting being the example is also being present, mm -hmm. you know, and that's an example that doesn't really have an app, but because you're doing, you're using all those other tools, you it tends to happen naturally, right? You tend to be focused on what really matters because, you know, 75 hard and G code have helped you focus on those things. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably one of the biggest examples I want to set for my sales reps is that when they're in front of me, that I'm present with them and I truly genuinely care about 
them and their people and their lives, you know, and I'm not on my phone. Oh, I'm so, I'm the busy boss. You know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have time for this. You know, I'm so busy, you know, that, yeah. that that's a whole thing that was a big deal growing up and working for other people is the busier you look, the busier you were, which wasn't the case. We know, we know now, you know what I mean? That we've been educated on this stuff. Yeah. Um, busy isn't necessarily good. Right. Yeah. The, um, there there's looking busy and then being busy. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I think one of the misconceptions is, Oh, I don't have time to do all these things. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this is my third time I did. So I did, uh, Mark, our trainer, he, ta- he challenged me to do the entire 75 hard. If you're not familiar with 75 hard, it's 75 days to get you into the relative pattern. And then there's three, what we call what they call phases. They're 30 mm-hmm. day phase. So I'm rounding out the last week of the first one and the third phase should come to end the anniversary of when you started 75 hard. Anyway, um, that's 165 days. Mm-hmm. We have 200 other days in the year. Yeah. So I think really it becomes a typecast, but one of the people get, you know, they, it does focus you on some time, uh, in t- I don't say time management, but time intentionality. Cause you have two 45 minute workouts and all those times. So you can't like, oh, well, you can't hit the snooze at 6 a.m. when you should be going to the gym mm-hmm. and say, well, I'll get both workouts tonight, which I've done both workouts in, in an it evening sucks. time to travel. <laughs> and it is awful. Um, do one at five and then turn right back and do one at 10 or nine. Mm-hmm. It makes it really tough. So um, you, you have to focus on that thing. But, you know, read 10 pages a day. You can do that in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Your first bathroom break. Right, that's 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes worth of reading. You're done. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, the, the only trouble with drinking a gallon of water, that's one of the other pieces is you, you pee a gallon of water, which, which sucks. But. Which is why I was, I was asking how much you weighed earlier. Cause oh. I, I didn't have that problem and not to the level that everybody else had that problem. I don't know if I can just retain water better or if I just okay. process it internally fast. I don't know how it works, but in, mm-hmm. and, and, and this is also true. Like I typically drink that gallon by like two or three. You know, okay. And so by the time the evening came around when I was actually trying to relax and you often can't because yeah. you got to pee, uh, I was already like, I had, it had flushed through my system. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm getting it down. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Even, even the days in between like breaks of not on being on 75 hard or I still will drink a considerable amount of water. Yeah. So that, yeah. Um, but it, it does teach you some piece of there. And I think that, you know, we don't have to constantly, we have more time and if we operate with an intentionality, my, my team knows that I'm busy, but I just go every single hour, but I tell them ahead, you know, I'll come in there, get in the office. And I usually have to, at least two of my sales managers work in the office, but I'll tell them what my day looks like. I'll be like, okay, you know, uh, my, you know, my first appointment is not till 11, you know, or I've got a three, I just communicate with them and they, they know if the door's open, pop in, if it's yeah. closed, I'm on the call or I'm on doing a podcast or something like that. So I, as long as you set the precedent and mm-hmm. yeah, nothing and not usually much that I can, that I'm doing, I can't be pulled away from, yeah. but yeah, just those simple things like that. And so when people tell me that they're busy, obviously I have a different perspective because I've done 75 hard and phase one, you know, and I've mm-hmm. done these, you know, eight power tasks a day. That's a lot, you know? Sure. And so, um, your perspective changes, right? Well, the first question I typically ask them, especially people that I'm consulting is, okay, you're too busy to do that but let me see your calendar. Mm-hmm. And then they open up their calendar and I look at it and there's like 
six things for the week. I'm like, I don't, I don't see anything, <laughs> you know? And then I show them my calendar, you know, mm-hmm. and it's time blocked, you know, mm-hmm. and I've got intentionality, but, uh, behind each thing. Now it's like everything else. It's not perfect every day. And I, and I like that because then I can, I can pivot and I can add stuff in if I need to. But that, that's typically, if you say you're busy, then your calendar better show it. You know what I'm saying? Cause otherwise you're just let, reacting to the day. You know what I'm saying? You, yeah. Instead of controlling your day and architecting your day, which usually translates into your life. You're too open to the things that can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then come across your desk. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So using those tools, uh, being more present is a big one for me with my family because, uh, in my twenties, I think we were talking earlier, we were financially focused. I had the finances mm-hmm. on point. Everything else was dog shit. Yeah. And I, I was that guy, 26, 27 years old, making half a million dollars a year. And, um, yeah, everything else was falling by the wayside, but I had the appearance of having it all together. Right. And so, you know, when I was at home, I was looking down at my phone while my daughter's playing in front of me or my sons mm-hmm. are, you know, asking for my attention without like verbally doing it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, they feel that stuff, you know what I'm saying? And so I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I went through a separation and divorce and now I'm reconciled and, uh, my fiance is my ex-wife. <laughs> So we reconciled and we're getting back together. We get married in like six weeks, but I'm glad I went through that whole thing because Mm -hmm. it taught me to be more present with my kids, which taught me to be more present in general. And that was before apex. And I had that mentality going into it. So it allowed me to really receive everything apex was, was teaching me, you know, and uh, being present is, is a, is a big one for me. I was checking my calendar. Mm -hmm as you were talking and my just looking at what what work with my mentor is set your non-negotiables in there. Mm -hmm. Like the weekly men, you know, uh, I have a weekly marketing coaching call. I have a weekly mentor coaching call. Um, and what I added for the summer was as soon as that call is done, I've got family lunch. So between 12 and three on a Wednesday, I'm being a mentorship and then I'm spending time with my family. Mm -hmm. And so it, and it is foreign to people. It is foreign to people. So like during our call, I got a call from uh, one of the other leadership members of our company. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is not a person that, I mean, sorry, I, I basically, you know, like with an apex, it's always a, a text or something like, Hey, you, you know, and then we plan a time. That's yeah. how we start to roll. Cause we operate in intentionality. Most people don't you just say, Hey, Oh, I got a question for Brian. I'm gonna call Brian right now. You yeah. know, and it's people, your team will eventually learn it. Some people will, not mm-hmm. usually maybe the other leadership in your team, but your people below you, if you set the precedent, Hey, you know, text first, whatever kind of thing, they'll eventually follow along. It's not as difficult to set that up as it might be. It might sound. Yeah. You just don't answer the phone <laughs> and yeah, then you, it, you call them after, Hey, sorry, I was busy. I don't know if you, you know, like for my team, it's when they call me and especially like I have podcasts labeled a different color. Okay. That, that's my big one. I mean, I, I, I turn my computer on focus mode. My phone's on focus. It's upside down. But like every now and then I'll be wearing my watch and somehow something gets through. And I'm like, you can see in my calendar, you know what I'm saying? So I am coaching them through that. Um, but yeah, uh, you just call them back after and, and knock it out then and schedule it then or whatever the case is. People do like that aren't in your sphere and that mm-hmm. reach out to you. They, they get kind of like insulted when you send them a calendar invite. 
you know, and, you, and you're like, look, my time is scheduled all day. You know what I mean? I took the time out to send you this invite and I'm going to give you time, but it's just going to have to be on my schedule because you're asking to meet with me. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like the you, reverse. Yeah. Or you just have some text back and forth of, you know, hey, uh, someone uh, emailed me looking for some stuff and I was like, well, I'm, I apologize. This is the only day I'm going to be in office mm-hmm. this week. Let me get you to my sales manager. So you, you can flow that too as well. Mm-hmm. And, so, and yeah, yeah I, do, a, I do delegate a lot as well. And, mm-hmm. and, that, and that allows you to be present with what you scheduled for. You know what I'm saying? Or your mm-hmm. family. Like for me, I don't schedule family time right now. Now I will be able to because my kids are out of school. And so I'll be able to have that. I'm probably going to schedule an afternoon. I know like Drewby Wilson has a whole day. Tuesdays are his family day. And we all know that because he advertises it, you know. Yep, sure. And and so I'll probably start with an afternoon and hopefully be able to work to a day mm-hmm. someday. Um, yeah. But But I really for me it's the traditional schedule like pretty much between six and nine i'm pretty unavailable you know on weekdays and then weekends it's pretty much the same thing you know and i know a lot of people plan their whole weeks out on sunday and stuff like that but i I tend to kind of check out you know and i got to get better because i need to be posting on the weekends for social media but at the same time i'm like I'm okay. You know, <laughs> like I post a lot, <laughs> especially with the podcast. We're doing three episodes a week. You know what I'm saying? And uh-huh. so, um, anyways, going back to it, when I do schedule or when I do have that time with the family, I'm truly present. I'm not on my phone. I'm not distracted by a TV show or something else, you know? Yeah. And that, that's my probably number one way to set the example for my family is just to be, be present and teach them that. So. Yeah, I, I I agree. We um yeah, when it's dinner time, we we're doing now. There's been many times where you you can implement family and what, like double dip. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, if I'm doing my afternoon walk, it started oh. with just just walking. Absolutely. And then I would then start with the dogs. Now Mason and Natalie are coming with me, so I'm tacking all of these things at once. I'm getting my physical fitness. I'm getting the dogs walk, which is mm-hmm. needed. I'm spending time there and we don't, you know, we're talking, we're having a conversation. So yeah, I think people don't realize when you start to just, you know, take a step back from your calendar, then what are the non-negotiables first? What do things have to get done? Mm-hmm. Then you layer in some of the other stuff. Uh, but if you, and then you can, it sounds boring, but it's actually, I think opens up a lot of stuff to go, okay, I know what I'm going to be doing every single time at the hour of the day. Yeah. Get your, get your spouse on board, get a calendar. Mm-hmm. And that way you avoid arguments too. Like, oh, I had to schedule. Oh, I didn't know about this. Well, it's right there. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? Yeah, I love the the conversation that we've had and, and mm-hmm. the topics that we've covered. So many, so many of, when I first started this podcast, I wanted it to be tactical and that was it. I wanted to uh, be super tactical, super things that you could use to build your business. Because I, I was a, I thought I was an integrator. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought like I, I had to be a certain way. Right. Yeah. And all, all these conversations always turn into just like you said, being a good human and leader, mm-hmm. because that's how you build a great sales team. You know, like if you are doing all those things, it's going to happen naturally. And then you mm-hmm. insert the tactical stuff in there on top of that. And uh, all of a sudden you've got uh, an amazing insurance agency like yours or a sales organization like mine. Yeah. You, it's um yeah if you start off just doing things the right way mm-hmm. the money stuff will follow awesome yeah i, I agree 
Well, this is a joint. This is a joint podcast, so I imagine yeah. we're going to put all the contact info in both of each other's notes and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, um, I'll drop your stuff in mine. Uh, my yeah, my links and yeah, same thing for you. Yep. All Easy. right, guys. Well, I appreciate y'all joining us for this conversation. Brian, did you have anything you wanted to close with? No, uh, I appreciate everybody listening in. Um, yeah, I'm happy we can kind of you know mix two audiences here. I uh-huh. think it's great, great stuff. No, it's awesome. All right, guys, let's get building. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. Be sure to appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get notifications as new episodes become available. Remember, great sales teams are not recruited. They are built block by block. Until next time.